This episode was sponsored by Quests for Authenticity, the first and only coaching program that uses D&D to help people become just as confident in real life as their characters are at the table. Welcome to the Compendium, a resource designed to help you spend less time learning D&D and more time actually playing. Welcome to the Compendium. We are back talking about class, keeping things classy once again. And this week we are getting a little bit sneaky on you because we are going to talk about the rogue class. This is another class that falls into more of the melee side of things. I mean, everything, there's an exception to every role, and they do have the potential to have magic, but when they start off right off of the bat, there's no magic. It's mostly just, you know, poke, poke, stab, stab. Um, And so we're going to cover this. I think this is probably one of the more popular classes. It it really is, because Rogue lets everybody be their dark, broody, you know, edgelord person, you know, where, like, the cloak over their heads and... sit in the corner of the tavern, relive their emo days of high school. You know, we all have them. Yeah. Uh, yeah I personally, I, I, I feel it. like they're overpowered, honestly. Out of all of the classes that I've ever had players play, for some reason, rogues tend to be the, they have the, the biggest bang for their buck as far as like combat. And so I'm really interested to unpack this because that just might be my experience. But with so many of their features, with getting extra dice just based off of very simple to fulfill criteria, I kind of feel like they're one of the more OP'd classes in the book. I don't know what you think. No, they definitely are because, I mean, they they can be absolutely devastating in a fight, not even to mention if you know, you multi-class them with something like a paladin that adds even more stuff. Um, and they their key ability is probably one of the most, not broken, but like powerful abilities in the game, which is dexterity, which is going to help them for their to hit, for their finesse and range, for the damage from those same weapons. It helps their armor class. It helps them dodge uh, a bunch of things and spells and saving throws. And yeah, so it just kind of leans that way. And then if you, on top of that, you're leaning into like wisdom-based stuff, perception and stealth become, if you're not very careful, like the main stats that you really care about. And these guys excel in that. So yeah, um, if, if you're not watching out for that particular play style, yes, they're very, very powerful. Yeah, uh, so we'll get into why here in a a little bit. But let's start off by talking about what is the rogue class. Um, When you're playing one, what what kind of character can you expect to build? They are presented as being um, uh, basically criminals in in so many words, right? That's kind of how they're alluded to, that in order to be a rogue, it's likely that you're a thief or that you're an assassin or you're filling one of these positions of a criminal sort. That's not necessarily always the case, but would you say most of the time that people play rogues, they're going for the deep, dark past where they're running from the law or hiding something? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, rogues are absolutely in the martial side of things, and in, on that, like, their power doesn't come from, like, incredible strength, like the fighter or the barbarian. They're on that kind of side with monks, where it's about discipline and training and skills. 
uh, it's more finesse than force uh, for that side of things. So yeah, and yeah, they're criminals. I mean, they're rogues. Although there is somewhat of a shift to where sometimes they're portrayed as like pirates, which is just a thief with a boat. But <laughs> you can get into some more of that like, aha, you know, like swashbuckling kind of vibe to it. Like those old yeah. school, um, like Scarlet uh, uh, Pumpernel and uh, um, Errol Flynn, is that his name? I forget now. But like the, all the great sword fighting things from the black and white movie days. So mm-hmm. they're more like Robin Hood kind of... Uh, almost creeping into like the sphere you usually associate bards with and they're very closely related uh so but yeah usually they're you know edgy kleptomaniacs or like you said stabby boys uh or to quote from critical role dagger 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 yes (laughs) uh i mean like you said robin hood he's actually i think a good example potentially i mean he could also be classed as like a ranger but that Mm -hmm. could be a good example especially if you wanted to play one that's on the cusp of is are they good or evil well they're doing things that are seen as bad but it's for the people because it's you know a rule that's under tyranny you could kind of play with some of that if you wanted to where technically you're a villain but when you learn the circumstances you're actually the good guy yeah, and, and they typically have a very uh, gray morality <laughs> um, where it's very much like, I don't care what the laws are, this is what needs to happen. Um, this guy's a jerk and he needs to die. Um, I know that we have a trial coming up later, but we need to escape from prison tonight. So it's not that they're bad, it's just that they have their own kind of way of seeing things. So as far as like alignment goes, I know your big thing is that alignment is descriptive, not prescriptive, as in you don't say, I am a, you know, chaotic, good character. You see what your character does, and then that's the alignment that they should have. But based off of that, would you say that they are, they do tend to be more neutral or or on the chaotic side instead of the lawful side? Yeah, absolutely. I I think... If, if I had to guess at the statistics, I would say probably like 80 or 90% of all rogues are chaotic rather than lawful. That's quite a few. Um, and they skew towards uh, the neutral side of good or the neutral side of evil. Um, although, you know, because it's not super common for people to play uh, evil characters. It's, it's done. Here is kind of one of the places where it would be a bit more, uh, you know, kind of work well. Uh, yeah. But typically they're like, you know, Han Solos, you know, is the kind of mm-hmm. type you're going for. They're smugglers, they're rogues. Or they're Mal bad... and Firefly. Yeah, Mal and Firefly, exactly. They're not bad the dudes. They're just, they're dudes who can do some bad stuff and don't care too much about laws and books and stuff. Right. And I mean, Mal actually is a great example because that's one where it was like your lawful good soldier Mm-hmm. Essentially, fighter, if you will. I don't even know if turned... he was lawful back then. Day, oh, those okay. days well, more was, so yeah, on coat. the scale. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then he was just kind of like, "Well, we lost to hell with it. Like, mm-hmm. I am going to step into this role because you know I don't see the value in in trying to stand up for what I believe in anymore because it has fallen. You know, so it's kind of that like, yeah. yes, no, hero's e- journey. Exactly. And I just showed my kids Firefly for the first time here recently, <gasps> so I've got Mal on the brain for sure. Love it. Okay, so now that you have an idea of what a 
rogue, kind of how they typically present themselves. Uh, let's just cover some of the, the basic features of the class that you're going to get right off the bat. Level one, every rogue gets them regardless of the build so that you can get a better idea of um, how these things kind of come together to actually create this character that's very sneaky, you know, deft with what they're doing, all of that. Yeah, so some of the kind of mechanical class features. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, rogues are kind of like in the middle when it comes to their hardiness and their martial ability. Uh, they have a D8, which is which is kind of average, uh, considering that the only real uh, hit dice out there are going to be your D6, D8, D10, D12. So it's right there in the middle. Um, not too, too robust, but um, they're going to basically get that plus con modifier. They can use light armor because mobility is really the key for them. Um, and they've got simple weapons, uh, but you can also add to that rapiers, short swords, and long swords, and then hand crossbows because this is not canonically how hand crossbows work, but the, you know, the outlaw from the old west that has the retractable uh, gun up the sleeve at the poker table that kind of comes out all of a sudden, or like it's strapped to the bottom of the table, they can just kind of grab it. Like that's hand crossbows. That's the vibe for sure. Um, I'd love to see that in either like a multi-classing with an artificer or mm -hmm. that like somebody else in the party is an artificer and like makes these contraptions that would be really great for a rogue or some of the different classes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or like a uh, multi-class with like a warlock or eldritch knight or something where they have the bonded weapon. They can just summon it and just get hand crossbow to the face. It'd be great. Um, they get thieves tools, which are really cool. Um, thieves tools are what you need to open a chest or unlock a door or disable a trap. You can do it without it, but it's a lot harder. Now, are um, thieves tools just like, is there more to it than just like a lock pick? Is yeah, it a collection of items that like include lock picks? Because when I think of thieves tools, for some reason, my brain's like, oh, it's just lock picks. But there's, there's probably, I mean, it serves more purposes. So there would have to be more objects in there. Yeah, that's the most common um, but I think it's in there, but actually, according to the player's handbook, basically there's a small file, a set of lockpicks, a small mirror mounted on a metal handle, which is awesome for seeing around corners <laughs> and like looking into uh, like uh, crevices door, and things to yeah. see like, you know, how is this locking mechanism going to work? A set of narrow bladed scissors, great for trimming your eyebrows, and a set of pliers. Uh, so basically, it's it's more than just that, but it's it's almost like a jeweler's kit, you know, in real life, but not quite. So, but it's a lot of really great uh, things in here. And basically, what it does is lets you add your proficiency bonus to ability checks you make to disarm traps or open locks. Uh, so yeah, um, so that's what's in there. And their saving throws, uh, dexterity and intelligence, which is cool. Um, I'm always a little curious about the intelligence part because there are some. Um, you know, subclasses of rogue that do use intelligence. We'll talk about one of them here soon. But oftentimes, I usually would go wisdom based because of things like perception, um, as opposed to, you know, in uh, investigation, because, you know, seeing, noticing the trap in the first place is probably what the job of a rogue is more than, you know, now what can you tell me about it? So there's, you can do it different ways. That's and then true. they get to, they get four skills to start out with, which is great. I, I think only them and like the bard maybe get that many. 
Um, and you can choose from acrobatics, athletics. Athletics, uh, acrobatics, of course, is amazing. Deception, insight, intimidation, investigation, perception, performance, persuasion, sleight of hand, or stealth. Now, if you add the two you also get from any typical background, that's six. I mean, and there's only so 11 there to begin with. Uh-huh. And then... If you've picked a race um, like, you know, human or half-elf or elf, um, you get even more. And things like orc and tiefling, they usually get other ones as well. So it's super easy to start the game being proficient in seven to eight skills, which is nuts. Jack of um, all trades, master of most. <laughs> yeah, master of none. Uh, well, he's master of like 65% mm, of them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So, um, so th these guys aren't jack of all trades. They are master of many trades because, mm -hmm. as we all know, roguery is a complicated profession. It requires a lot of skills. So, yeah. And then starting equipment, they're going to get either a rapier or a short sword. Rapier is amazing because it's like a D8 for damage and it is a... Um, a finesse weapon so you can choose strength or dexterity um and then which also you, plays into some of the other abilities that you have that we'll get into in a minute too mm -hmm. yeah uh back to the show regular but we'll talk about that in a second yeah. <laughs> uh you also can choose a short bow and a quiver 20 arrows or another short sword uh burglar's pack dungeoneering pack or explorer's pack and then also leather armor two daggers and thieves tools so you're going to come pack's out of fun that's the first that's one of the first, well, I mean, this is the second race we've, or class we've talked about, but it's not an option that you see on most class, in any other classes, really? There's probably For a burglar's couple. pack? Yeah. Um, you might get one through a, a feat or a background, perhaps. This is like, but... otherwise, it's kind of the only way you can get it is if you're a rogue. Because that's, I'm not used to hearing that term, just because it doesn't pop up that often for a burglar's pack. No, it's true, yes. And burglar's pack is great because it comes with a bag of a thousand ball bearings which is great because you can use it to make people trip and there's all sorts of stuff like string and a bell and candles crowbar all the usual stuff but it's unusual in the sense that it uh, has the ball bearings kind of in there so that's fun um yeah so that's all the equipment and the stuff that you get uh, uh as far as like items and stuff so what uh, would be your with... recommendation for items like if they're choosing between a rapier or a short sword a short bow uh or another short sword like one of the packs, what would you recommend for equipping a rogue? So you have to think about it. Like, do you want to be able to, are, are you going to be more of a ranged person, like striking from the distance and then a rapier to fall back on uh, when things get up close and personal? Great. If you want to be dual wielding two short swords, excellent. But you can't um, do that right away, right? That would have to wait. That would be like preemptive for leveling up. Uh, no, because anyone can um, can can do dual wielding. It's just oh, that you don't right. get to you don't get to add your um, uh, your 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 bonus to the damage of that second hit. So, right. um, but if you chose to be a human and took the opening feat and you did that, then great, you could do that. Um, so there's other ways to do it. Uh, but yeah, two short swords is, is really common. This is kind of like that ranger vibe of. of you get those two short uh, swords and then if you end up doing the two short swords and not the bow and arrow your daggers really help out because they're thrown objects mm -hmm. so you can um you can get some range out of it that way as well but uh typically i kind of do rapier short bow um 
but uh, yeah. Um, and uh, then I like the Burglars Pack a lot, uh, but also it's uh, just then, like it's just made for shenanigans, which it is is it great. Is. <laughs> yeah, and Explorers Pack is a really great all-purpose one, so I would go with that as well. But um, yeah, and then at first level, there's two kind of like uh, a class abilities you get. You get going back to the skills. It's all about skills and training with these guys. Expertise, which is part of what makes rogues so broken, is basically at first level you can choose two of your skills or one of your skills and your thieves tools. So one of those seven or eight or nine. Um, <laughs> I just, ah, I don't even know. Um, so uh, and basically you get to double your proficiency bonus when it's applied to that check. So you already get proficiency right off the gate with a, mm-hmm. a good chunk of your skills. Yes. And then on top of that, a couple of them you can like get double proficiency on. Right. So the most common one is to like do stealth, right? And so let's say you have a plus three to your dexterity and your proficiency bonus at first level is plus two. So that's a plus five to a stealth check. But if you did expertise, now it's plus seven at first level. That's Which insane. Is it is, and it's is, only going yeah. to go up from there. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, by the time you get to, let me look, double check, level five, it's that seven's going to be a nine. Um, actually, no, scratch that ten. It's going to be a ten. Yeah. And that's not even hard. That's like just. Yeah, and then again at ninth level, again at thirteenth mm-hmm. level, again at seventeenth level. In yeah. addition to all the other stuff you get when you level up, so exactly, yeah. yeah. And what's really cool is that you don't have to choose two skills; you can choose a skill and your ability to use your thieves tools, which is everything. It's not just like lock picking, like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not like you only, yeah. So there's actually a lot of, and you could probably, you know, uh, and this is not the right word, but argue with your DM. Uh, yeah, that you could come to an agreement or adjudicate, that. yeah. Yeah, that it would be, that it would apply to this particular situation because you would use a thieves tool or something yeah, like I've that. I've seen it done pretty commonly that instead of being proficient with your thieves tools, is they apply it instead to sleight of hand checks. Oh, okay. Because instead of being, trying to like palm the coin, it's doing slight movements with your hands. And if you have thieves tools, it makes it even better. And so that opens up things a little bit wider. So that's a pretty common homebrew thing, but not exactly rules as written, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, by the way, at sixth level, you can choose two more of your million proficiencies and get expertise with those so as well. So four proficiencies by sixth level are going to have mm-hmm. expertise. Yes. And then the bread and butter, everyone's favorite, at first level, you get sneak attack. This is the one. This, this is, the, is one. the one that like just everything breaks down for a DM. <laughs> yeah, it can, it can, it really can. So here's the thing though: is, is the reason why it's so difficult is it basically lets them do extra damage. Um, you can do an extra D6 of damage under certain conditions, and that goes up with your uh, your your class level um, from 1D6 all the way up to 10D6, maxing out at level 19. But it's really commonly around the 2 to 3d6. And the problem is, is that other uh, characters have to, like, work really hard to, like, bump in extra damage like that. Like, using spell slots and smites and that kind of thing. Or get a crit. Mm -hmm. Um, With sneak attack, all you have to do is hit a creature with an attack. 
that you have an advantage on the roll. And you have to be used either using a finesse or a ranged weapon. Now, you don't need advantage on the attack roll. This is the an, one. Yeah, <laughs> this is the part that's enemy, broken. If another enemy of the target... By the way, it just has to be an enemy of your target. It doesn't be friends with you, just an enemy with your target. Is within five feet of the target, then you don't have to have advantage. As long as that enemy that's giving you kind of the help isn't incapacitated and you don't have disadvantage outright on the roll. So, yeah, as long as you're going into battle with a friend, typically, you can do this. And it doesn't run out. The only caveat is it, only, it can happen once per turn. Now, I will say this, and people will be like, wait, what? Or they'll just hate it and disagree with me, and, well, we don't do that at my table. Great, no problem. This is just rules as written. It doesn't say once on your turn. It says once per turn. So later, if someone triggers an opportunity attack, that's someone else's turn. If you meet the conditions, you can sneak attack again with your reaction. Broken. Don't tell your don't tell your players, Casey. Um, broken. I'm. It's broken. just. Uh, yeah. It's not broken. It's just what they get to do. Okay. It's just what they get to do. Okay. Well, um, if you compare level one rogue getting to do your extra one d six of damage on top of like a one d eight to begin with, and then level one wizard that's just like here's my cantrip that's one d four, like. <laughs> right. And even if they. Yeah. Well, I know. I know. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, again, this falls under like the fireball rule, like fireball as a third level spell is like way overpowered, but it's legacy. It's like always kind of been done this way. And mm -hmm. so I think sneak attack falls under that same category where like if they had done something different, people would have rioted probably and declare sneak attacks on them. Uh, but yeah, so it's kind of how it is, but you know. It is what it is, and it makes it a great class. So, so with yes, the whole uh, uh, enemy of my enemy thing in yes. here for the sneak attack, could you hypothetically, if there was like a bard in the party, could they mm -hmm. charm one of the enemies to like start bickering with with do, somebody do, else, and then suddenly now they're an ally? <laughs> well, they don't need to be an ally. Just an well, enemy yeah, but like the there's target. somebody that's like against yeah. them because like you're like, hey, that I think that person stole your lunch this afternoon. Yeah, like, that isn't that was you, and then suddenly they're in a tiff. Like, would that count? <laughs> it depends on the table and depends on what effect was being used. But yes, that is entirely possible. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Sneak attack. Uh, yeah. So that's sneak attack. That does that change. As, as you level up, does that change, or is it just the dice damage that increases it, it, the, over The levels? prerequisites don't really change uh, just with the class. It's just the damage gets goes up and up and up. Okay. Uh, it also helps if you yell sneak attack at the same time. Yes. <laughs> well, that one also, the other, the other way that this continues to build is that once you, we'll get to this, we'll get to it. This is going to be that episode. We'll get to it, it in is. a minute. It is. Um, yeah. We haven't done it in a while. We've got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, uh, do. When you get to second level, there is another trait that you get that will make this also um, very helpful. So we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. So we yeah. got sneak attack at first level. The other thing that you get right off the bat is a, a language um, mm -hmm. called Thieves Cant. Uh, yeah, so, um, oh yeah, that's not second level, it's, it's uh, first. Yeah, not that's bad. right out the gate. Yeah, right out the gate. So Thieves Can't. Let me tell you, Thieves Can. 
Uh, Thieves Can't basically is a subtle ways or secret ways of communicating uh, like short or simple messages to people who are in the know. Um, you could think of this as like how, you know, a, um, in a baseball game, the coaches are sending signals to their runners to like steal second or whatever. You can also think of it like Cockney Rhyme Scheme, where you're pretty sure they're speaking English, but you're not really sure what they're saying. Right. Uh, and now to clarify, you said it's a, like a simpler, like mm -hmm. short form, but it actually takes longer to communicate with. In the in the yes. guide, it says it takes four times longer to say the same thing in thieves can't as it does in like common or whatever right. your and, your first language is. Right, and most of the time I see this kind of laid out as like like almost like okay, this is going to be a deep cut. Did you know that hobos, like the guys who run on trains and stuff, that they had a secret language very much like this, where they would basically use like. Um, like graffiti and tags to let you know like oh hey don't go to this house a policeman lives here or this house is always good for food or hey uh they always check this car don't sleep in this one no i i didn't know yeah. that but for some reason i'm not remotely surprised that you know that uh thanks uh now i want to play a hobo rogue that sounds amazing that's a subclass i need to make right away um so basically it's uh, so it's like simple ideas like that i usually see it play like that like um Things like are you ready um, or danger or empty, that kind of stuff. Um, but through a long conversation, you could be having a conversation about the weather, but kind of like Cold War Spycraft, other messages are being encoded into it where you have to read between the lines, sometimes it's supposed literally. It's to rain on Tuesday. <laughs> I hear she'll get an umbrella herself. And you're like, oh, no, she committed suicide. What do I do? Um, I've lost my contact, right? So... Um, and you've seen this in media being played up to comedic effect. Um, I had an idea the other day. I don't know if I was talking with someone. It might have been you where I decided from now on the way my Thieves Can't works in my games is you know someone speaks Thieves Can't because they'll be holding a platinum piece because no one uses platinum and it's dumb and stupid and no one likes you. Wait, okay, no. Okay, no, uh, Electrum, excuse me. No, Electrum. Electrum. is yeah, the okay. one that's dumb no. and stupid. You know what, you're right and I'm wrong. I'm in Electrum, I'm dumb and stupid. Um, Electrum, exactly. Because we even talked about that like a year ago where you are like, explain Electrum and I would like, I'd rather not. Yeah, um, it's not worth it. Yeah, so Electrum, like when they're holding Electrum a piece, it kind of signals that they're part of like the Thieves Guild and you know they do certain things with that piece like it has like inverted meanings and that kind of stuff it's like that'd be an actual useful way to use electrum for once so yeah yeah so I it, like it's, it. it it's the criminal version of of uh of uh druid craft and uh their kind of druidic language but uh right yeah. and the idea there is that it's something that you know these rogues have picked up while they've been training to you know be stealthy and in these like thieves guild these the underground circles mm -hmm. that they run in it's kind of like the language that spoke or you know the the terminology that's used in those groups that they learned from which i think is the idea would you say that it would be a harder language to learn if like a rogue wanted to teach it to someone, would you say it's more I, complex because of that or not really? I think it's complex uh, for two reasons. One, you'd have to have someone who's been initiated or a part of that world 
teach it to you. This is not something you could pick up mm -hmm. um, just along your travels or reading a book the way that it's kind of presented. Uh, and then on top of that, it seems like it's not as robust of a language because it, it does talk about like short, simple messages. And then also you think about all the context, right? Where you're having to um, like, it's like watching a uh, an Ocean's Eleven movie where they say they kind of like make all these oblique references to different kind of heists and strategies and half yeah. the time the audience and even some of the members and characters are like, what? Like, so there's so much contextual stuff going on here. So it, I, I think it would be kind of difficult to learn for a lot of those reasons, but entirely possible. So that is everything you are going to get as you build your level one rogue. Um, however, it, it as good as it is at level one, it gets mm -hmm. even better starting from level two. So let's go ahead and cover what's going to happen as these rogues adventure, as they go and assassinate more people or steal stuff or whatever it is that's on their agenda, and they start earning XP and they start leveling up to level two and beyond. Right. So... This is one of the ones that also kind of gives you the vibe of like being broken. Uh, it's called Cunning Action. And this one's great and it, it doesn't get a lot of like attention. But when you start to really watch a, a player who plays a rogue and really knows what they're doing, you realize how important Cunning Action is. So Cunning Action basically means at second level, uh, you have more options to do with your bonus action. And a lot of times, some characters won't even have an option to do anything with their bonus yeah. action because they don't have the, the skill or feat or spell or whatever. And so they don't even think about it. Rogues, starting at second level, always have something to do with their bonus action. They can use it to dash so they could move their full movement again. Disengage, that means move away from a target without uh, triggering an opportunity attack. Or hide where now they have to be looked for again. And, See, disengaging and the hide badge, is the yeah. broke one, broken one. Because if you hide at the end of your turn, then at that point you have advantage on your attack the next time you attack, which bounces off of your sneak attack. And so every single turn, I've seen rogues that go in this cycle of I sneak attack, I hide, because now they can't be seen. And so they have advantage on their next attack as they come out swinging once again. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's exactly. how I was saying these things build exponentially very, very quickly. They do. And they have that ability to like, like move faster than a monk sometimes, which is nuts. Uh, because they can just dash if they have nothing else they want to do and just move around or disengage and, you know, keep their armor pretty. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of people who will dip in multiclassing into just two levels of rogue because that's all they want, or maybe even three to get the next bump for their uh, sneak attack. But yeah, so yeah. then uh, third level they get their subclass, their rogue, their roguish archetype, and we'll talk about that in a second. There it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there it is. Okay. Um, then fourth level ability score improvement. That's their ASI as normal. Um, you can get a feat there or bump up uh, your two ability scores. Okay, um, ASI is a new one. I've not heard you say that one before. It took yeah. me a minute to be like, what is ASI? Oh, well, he just said it. Ability score improvement. Yeah, I'm not used to that. That Yeah. Yes, abbreviation. Well, so you know what's happened is in the last year playing online more, a lot of conversations about D&D &D and during D&D &D are happening in apps like GroupMe and Discord and abbreviations rule the rule those apps. Mm, and so ASI ends up being the thing to go, just like how I say BPS for bludgeoning, piercing, uh, uh, 
slashing. Slashing. Um, yeah, I was like, brain fart. Okay, it's been a day. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so we'll go over the archetypes in a minute, but uh, you get the ability score. Is this, this is not as often as a fighter, is it? It no, looks pretty no often. One, no one gets it as often as a fighter. Fighter gets the most. Um, the uh, rogue is going to get it basically every four, so they get one, two, three, four, five. Okay, a little more than usual. Six. Okay, so they get six. I think you normal is like five maybe um, because they get it both at, at level eight and ten and twelve. That's a little more common than, than usual if I memory serves and it might not. Uh, but yeah, so again with their their whole skill vibe, that really makes a lot of sense. Right, and then during that, it's the it, that the ability score improvement is the same across all classes. So yeah. there's nothing special that you do for rogues. It's just going to be that you can increase one ability by two or two abilities by one, or you can take a feat if that's allowed at your table. Right, and usually it is. And then we get uncanny dodge at fifth level. Uh, so basically, when someone attacks you and you can see the attack, you can use a reaction to cut the damage in half. Now remember, this is for attacks, not saving throws. So as long as they had to roll to hit, and you saw it happen, and you, usually your passive perception is going to be pretty high, then you can just go uncanny dodge. But that's a reaction, so that's a limited resource. Don't forget that, but it's, it's pretty great. Yeah. And then uh, level 6, expertise. Again, you can add two more skills to it. Uh, and then level 7, evasion. Uh, wizards hate this one. Uh, basically at level seven, it starts to affect things that do do saving throws, where basically uh, anytime you have to make a dexterity saving throw, uh, whether that's a spell or dragon's breath or whatever it is, uh, you only take half damage, full stop. Um, so if, if, the, if, the, if the, basically if the thing says on, uh, on a miss, you take half damage, then what you can do is you can, um, uh, you can make that save. If you make the save, there's no damage. Oh, so if it doesn't you, quarter. No. If you fail the save, you only take half. So even failure oh, is okay. as good as everyone else's success. I would have thought that it was at that point it was a quarter damage, not no. completely for home free. Yeah. So as long as it says uh, on a miss half, they're like, okay, I'll take that. And now let me see if I can avoid it altogether. And you're like, oh my gosh right so now you're starting to see like okay all the stuff's starting to stack like there's they're getting slippery now like how do i even yeah. get this guy right they don't have that many hit points their ac is pretty good i can't even hit the guy i can't even find him right and then to add insult to injury this isn't even talking about subclasses yet reliable talent like an ancient red dragon they can just choose to succeed basically okay so by 11th level they're so good at their stuff that when they have an ability check that they're proficient in, which is going to be a ton of them. Most of them. <laughs> yeah. If you get a roll of nine or below before you add any bonuses, just treat that roll as a 10. Which is, yeah, it's a save and 99% then of the time. you get to add your bonuses. Which at this point is like plus 12 or 13. Yeah, and an 11. Yeah. And now it's just a 22. Because you rolled a Guaranteed. one. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. I'm playing with someone right now who's a high-level rogue, and he's like, um, oh, that wasn't very good. Uh, only 24. I'm all, Jay, 
come on, man. Yeah, um, no, there's points with certain characters that I just didn't, ma- I don't make them roll for stuff. Because I know for a fact that they cannot possibly roll low enough to not meet this based off of, you know, all of everything that they're adding on to it. And that would be one of those situations where it'd be like, I wouldn't even have them do a check because there would be no point. Right. And remember, rules is written. Saving throws don't have critical hits and critical failures. So even they roll a one, as long as the bonuses will get them up over that target number, they can still succeed. So Mm -hmm. rules is written. Um, And then it starts to like taper off a little bit up here at the top, uh, which is probably fortunate. Uh, but basically, at 14th level, they get blind sense. If, if, as long as they can hear, they can uh, be aware of the location of anything that's hidden or invisible within 10 feet of you. So basically, they get blind uh, blind sight within 10 feet, which other people have to take a feat to get. Um, and then uh, Slippery Mind at 15th level, uh, basically, you get proficiency in wisdom saving throws. They're just like hardened and focused. <laughs> More proficiency. Yeah, they, their whole character sheet is just black dots. Um, and then 18th level is elusive. Um, I love how this, I'm going to read it as written because it's so beautifully done. Beginning at 18th level, you're so evasive that tackers rarely gain the upper hand against you. Yeah, that's been happening since 5th level, Wizards of the Coast. Thank you. <laughs> no attack roll has advantage against you while you aren't incapacitated. Now, imagine the high-level rogue versus rogue duel. (laughs) Yeah. And then level 20, stroke of luck. If your attack misses a target within range, you can turn the miss into a hit. You can just choose to succeed. Um, But you only get to use it once per short or long rest. Well, at least they gave you that. Uh-huh. For the DM, at least. I mean, this is all great for the player. But as yes. a DM, I'm over here like, are you kidding me? How right. are you supposed to, like, <laughs> create uh-huh. fair and challenges? also, well, by at level 20, that's already a difficulty. But that's true. And also, too, they can choose instead to, uh, when they fail an ability check, I don't know how, they can just treat the D20 as a 20. Yeah, yeah, why not? So, yeah. Yeah, and so that's that's the process of leveling up 2 through 20. But once again, that's not even everything. No, it is not. Right? So that's just your base model once again. Which and is already... You, which is already broken. But then on top of that, when you get to level three, early, early on, when you get to level three, you mm-hmm. get to choose your archetype, which is your subclass, basically. All of them have different have different N- names. The last names, one, the yeah. fighter, this is, yeah. where the, the, um, the martial... Uh, Oh gosh, I just lost it. I was going to say archetypes, but that's this one. Yeah, this is roguish archetype. What is it okay, called? Sorry. Like bards get, get colleges, wizards get schools, um, uh, domains for clerics, and so on. Um, yeah, they're all the same path, thing. This confused yeah, me so much when I started. Yeah. I remember I had a conversation with you, Jason, because I was mm-hmm. like, what's the difference between these? And you're like, nothing. It's just different names for the same thing. It's just different flavor for the classes. That's it. Yeah, they're yeah. subclasses. Yeah. Um, and that's the term I typically use because I can't remember them all, and that seems to work pretty well. So there's three in the player's handbook and uh, for these subclasses, the roguish archetypes. Uh, and I think we're going to kind of drill down into those a little bit more, and then we'll touch lightly on uh, some of the ones found in uh, Tasha's and uh, Xanathar's. Um, right. But um, there's also, I think, a 
few others. I was looking at um, Theros the other day, and it had a College of Eloquence for Bard. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's where that came from. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, they're so everywhere. You can find some classes everywhere. Yes, they are. <laughs> so the Thief is the first one. And Thief is interesting because it's not as, like, direct in the benefits you gain it ends up being more non-combat heavy which is good that they have that option because sometimes you'll look at some of these um uh these subclasses like a lot of the the paths for barbarians i was reading those earlier and all of those are combat based with very few exceptions thief is kind of nice so basically at third level when you take this subclass you get fast hands which basically the bonus action that you can use for your cunning action, um, uh, you can uh, basically do a sleight of hand dexterity check to use thieves tools to disarm a trap or open a lock or take the use object action, like pulling a lever, So basically a barrel. the cunning action just expands from being dash, disengage, and hide to being dash, disengage, hide, thieves sleight tools, of hand. Use object. Yeah, okay. Right, and so here's where that homebrew rule comes in, where people are like, oh, just make a sleight of hand check to use your thieves tools. I'm like, oh, well, why don't we just do that anyway? Because what this rule is doing is basically giving you another option for your cunning action, but also it's giving you a different way from what it was seemed to say, as rules is written above, how to do your thieves tools. So that's interesting. Um, and then you also get second story work. You're a cat burglar. Uh, you gain the ability to climb faster than normal. Climbing no longer costs you extra movement. So basically you get a climb speed uh, equal to your, um, to your movement. Um, and then when you take a running jump, the distance you cover increases by a number of feet equal to your dexterity modifier. Right, and that's uh, for a, assuming a long jump, or would you, would you apply that to uh, that, the long jump or a high here, jump? Here it talks about just long jump. So I'm yeah. thinking rooftop to rooftop. And normally when you have a running jump, you're doing it with your strength bonus. Here they're letting you swatch that, swap that out to your dexterity modifier. Uh, I assume you're like parkouring, uh, you know, doing flips and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so here's the next one doesn't kick into level seven. Um, this is really interesting. Supreme Sneak, right? This uh, comes. This level comes, nine. Level nine, yeah. Right. This Not seven, this comes yeah. with. Oh, why did I say seven? Man, I'm having a day. So Supreme Sneak, you know, it's different because it comes with guac and sour cream. Um, starting at level nine. <laughs> it's gonna see, cost just, you an extra fifty cents. <laughs> yeah. So I had that joke in my head, and I couldn't let it go, and that's why I said level nine because my brain was like, no, nothing as important as this joke. Um, Basically is that you have advantage on dexterity checks if you move no more than half your speed on your turn. So that would be half your, your base speed, right? That wouldn't be if you dodge. Would that be your full speed? Uh, oh, like if you dash? Mm, I don't think it counts oh, you for dash. dash. Yeah, I think the idea here is that basically while you're moving slowly, you have advantage on stealth. So you can okay. kind of creep along and be sneaky. I mean, what would be the difference between that and uh, just, like, moving slowly? Because the travel pace will automatically change, like, stealth checks. Right. I think the idea here is not, like, out in the open or traveling down roads. Like, this is, like, in dungeons and castles and nobles' houses where you're going to steal their jewels. 
okay. you kind of sneak past the guards a lot easier if you're going slowly as opposed to like just like booking it uh, like you can with that bonus dash dash action. Um, yeah, and then you have We're use... still not done. <laughs> nope, still not done. And this is still in the first one. So use magic device at thirteenth level. You know enough about how magic works to be dangerous. No, I mean sorry to improvise the use of items even if they're not intended for you. You can ignore all class, race, and level requirements. Okay, listen to that last one. Level requirements on the use of magic items. So you could grab a sword, like a Holy Avenger meant for paladins, and just use it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't see that one used very often, but as I'm reading it now, I'm like, I should use that more often. <laughs> um, Everyone listening is probably thinking the same thing. Yeah, but I think a lot of times too, like rule of cool. Uh, I love rule of cool. I use it a lot. You've seen me use it. I, I know I get a reputation on the internet for like being the rules as written guy. I am not a, a, a dictator to the rules when I when I run games. But there are sometimes when rule of cool, when people will like, yeah, don't worry about the restrictions. Just use it whatever works for your character. Ends up weakening a class that got this as a special ability so when you don't use that rule you're doing a disservice to uh the thief subclass so that's where i kind of get into a little like eh, i don't know anyway right so then, with some with this particular one like with attuned items or things like that it's assuming you can attune to them as well all of the same rules would apply yeah still right, limit still three to... for attunement yeah okay it's just that if it says that you know requires attunement by a druid you're like, no, not really. It's fine. As long as you rub some dirt in your hand first, it fools the staff into thinking you're a druid. It's easy. Um, okay. Yeah, you're getting around the magical, like, uh, you know, um, thumbprint lock. Uh, and then you have Thief's Reflexes at level 17. Uh, basically, you're really good at ambushes and quickly escaping uh, those ambushes when they go wrong. Uh, you can take two turns during the first round of combat because you haven't already broken the action economy with cunning action. You so this is your... before initiative starts? You get two turns back to back? Yeah. Or is not this back your back. first turn so in the initiative order? You can you get... take two turns during the first round of any combat. So so basically in that first time where everybody acts, that's where this gets to happen. On round two, this no longer applies. So would you how would how would you run that as a DM? Do they just get a pick where they want to take their second turn? No, it actually says it here. Basically what happens is that you take your first turn as normal when you roll the initiative and the second turn of that minus 10. Okay. So if you roll a 22, you'll take your second action, your second round in that round at 12. Okay. And if you get surprised... Because the DM doesn't do have enough numbers to keep track of to begin with. Exactly. <laughs> so now you're getting somebody yelling you yelling two numbers for initiatives at you yeah. instead of just everybody yelling a single number and it already being too much. Right. Trust me, if I unlock this power, if I unlock this power, I would absolutely know when my turns were. Okay, I would not forget. I would remind him, no problem. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so that's the thief. Uh, and then in the player's handbook, we have the assassin, which is probably one of the uh, crowd favorites from the original uh, listings. Basically, uh, these people are really are the edgy, like stabby stabs. So um, you gain a new proficiency 
awesome, with the disguise kit and the poisoner's kit. Now, this isn't a skill proficiency, this is a, a item proficiency, but that's cool. You can pretend to be somebody else and then kill them with poison. Um, also, you get assassinate, which is kind of interesting. Um, Starting at the time that you get this, because you don't get yeah. this till third level, and this says right. starting at third level. Right, so these are the two things you get right away when you take this subclass. Okay. So um, you you have advantage on attack rolls against any creature that hasn't taken a turn in combat yet. So if you get a 22 and the next monster is a 10 in initiative order, you get advantage on the attack rolls, which is great for sneak attack. Mm -hmm. um, and also, any hit you score against a creature that's surprised, it's a critical hit. You still have to make the roll, but if it hits, it's a crit. So if you're being sneaky sneaky through the courtyard of the castle and you sneak up behind one of the guards, they don't know you're there, he has the surprise condition, you have an advantage on the attack because it's not his turn yet, he hasn't gone yet, and if you hit him, it's a crit. Here's the great part. You had advantage, so now you can do sneak attack. Crits, as written, you double the amount of dice that you roll. This also counts for the sneak attack damage. So even if you were just like a level three, that's you're rolling your like four weapon. dice at least. No, you're rolling six. S Sneak attack is two d six at level three plus your oh, weapon it goes damage. Up at level three. And then you double those dice. That's six d six easy. At level three. At level three. Broken. <laughs> there you go. I repeat myself. Broken. Well, they're oh, an assassin. That's how it works, right? I mean, they're good at what they do. They're very good at what they do. All right. So then at level nine, they get another unlock, Infiltration Expertise. So basically, they can create false identities. This is really great for out of combat. This is like as you're making the plan to, to do the heist, to, to, to break someone out of prison, to sneak past the, the, you know, the, uh, the blockade they have around the town, that kind of stuff. You can spend seven days and 25 GP. That's a long time, seven days, to establish a history, profession, and affiliations of your identity. So this isn't just like, oh, I'm going to put a little like a wig on and some grease paint, and now I'm an old like you know a beggar woman, uh, so they don't notice me like Sherlock Holmes would do. You're creating a whole new identity like Jason Bourne, right? This is like the extra passport and the all the the information is in the, the system. The apartment and your name and all exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Um, you can't establish the identity belongs to someone else, so it has to be for you. But basically, you can just be that person whenever you want. So when you adopt that new identity as a disguise, other creatures will believe you to be that person unless they're given an obvious reason not to. So in every town, an assassin could just adopt that identity for that place because here in this town, they know me as so-and-so who does it a import export business but in the over town down the coast i own a winery that has been in my family for generations even though i made my family up which is awesome i hardly ever see this get used but it's cool um mostly because it takes seven days uh, yeah. But this is a great downtime activity to establish a new identity. Uh, level 13, Imposter, you gain the ability to unerringly mimic another person's speech, writing, and behavior. So basically you can watch someone and you can kind of like copy them. So if someone sees you from a kind of a distance, they'll go, oh yeah, I saw so-and-so leave the tavern, you know, after the ninth bell. Uh, he was at least still alive then. And you're like, no, I killed him at the eighth bell. 
and then pretended to be him leaving in the ninth bell so I could establish my, you know, alibi somewhere else. Like, that's the mm -hmm. kind of idea here. It takes three hours to kind of study it, but if you watch a person, you can kind of copy them. Their handwriting is also included, which is kind of cool. So if you want to forge a signature, that's rad as well. Um, so a casual observer won't tell a difference, but if someone is suspicious or um, uh, they're really like looking into it, they could do it, uh, but you get advantage on any deception checks you make to avoid uh, detection. If you've ever seen the old uh, movie, The Saint, this is exactly what he does in The Saint. The Saint's a great okay. movie. Casey, you need to go watch The Saint, it's great. <laughs> Um, um, but I'm what I'm to... thinking too with most of these is like, and what I've seen happen sometimes at my table is that that players will draw up characters that have these really great um, abilities, but mm -hmm. then the environment that they're put into, they can't use any of them. So all of this, this would be useless if you throw them into a dungeon. Yeah, it is. Generally it's, speaking, right? Because there's not people, there's not stuff, like yeah. an identity to create or somebody else to mimic. You're just kind of trying to survive the death pudding and everything in the, which is not a real character. But um, mm -hmm. yes, so that's, that's the thing I hear with this is like, it's really cool, but it's also kind of specific for how the adventure that your DM is creating could actually even let it work. Right. Right, but it's a still a cool ability, and it has its place, but not every ability gets used everywhere. So that's just how it goes sometimes. By the way, the saint had Val Kilmer in it. It's great. Um, I was trying to figure out his name. Uh, and then level 17, Deathstrike. Uh, also a great name of a comic book hero, uh, bad guy, who's an assassin. Uh, 17th level, you become the master of instant death. Oh, you weren't already with your 10d6 sneak attack? When you attack and hit a creature that is surprised, that shouldn't be too hard, it must make a constitution saving throw, which is a DC 8 plus your dex mod plus your proficiency bonus. Um, so let me just do some quick math here. Uh, 17 plus 4, so 12 plus 5, so 17. That would be uh, the is, save number, right? The number mm -hmm. you're saving against. Yeah, so basically it, for most of the time it's going to be a DC 17. If they fail, double the damage of your attack against the creature. Now remember, you have they have to be surprised. But when they're surprised, you have advantage. So you get to, yeah, you get to do sneak attack. And Assassinate says that if they haven't gone yet in combat because they're surprised, you can double the, you, you can do a crit. So this is going double, to be... Double? You basically what will happen if everything goes right and it really should and they make that and they fail what's going to happen is is you get to do sneak attack with your 10d6 which is a crit so you do 20d6 plus whatever your weapon was no one cares now find add your bonus at the end now double that number it is called instant death it is called death strike now don't feel too bad monks can do this too they can punch you so hard that they can just choose at any point in the next like two weeks for you to just drop dead because they were having a bad day. Also, by the way, level 17 wizards can learn wish that will do the same thing. So I get it. But also, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's okay. 
So if you, I mean, assassin, like those other things aren't necessarily always applicable, but the ones that are regularly ap applicable to like kind of any situation, they're pretty hefty. So I feel like it kind of balances, especially with that last one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and then the last one in the player's handbook is the arcane trickster. Okay, this one's cool because it's kind of like the Eldritch Knight where you get to dabble into magic a little bit. Uh, you gain spellcasting. Um, and what happens is you're going to learn three cantrips, Mage Hand, and two other cantrips of your choice from the Wizard Spell List. All this goes in the Wizard Spell List. This is why they recommend in the quick build in this uh, chapter to do Intelligence as your secondary mm -hmm. stat. Um, and then you can learn another Wizard Cantrip at 10th level. Um, and then uh, there is a chart here that shows you how many spell slots you have uh, as you level up like this. Um, but basically you know three level ones of wizard spells of your choice, uh, and two of them, two of the three, have to come from enchantment or illusion schools. The schools of magic. Right. So illusions like invisibility and that kind of stuff. Enchantment is like persuading people, right? Um, and then uh, whenever you gain a level, um, you can replace one of the wizard spells with another one you know, um, and... You uh, see, yeah. The other two, the other two archetypes had like a column, half a page, like a column mm -hmm. on half a page. This one's got a full page plus <laughs> devoted to it because of the magic component. There's like so many extra things in yeah. there. Yeah, look, it's a whole other chart, and then the number of spells you know come on that chart as well. That's what I was looking for, and I couldn't find it. Um, your DC is set the same way it was for a wizard. Um, and uh, occasionally you can learn a spell from any school of magic at 8th, 14th, and 20th. You can just pick Fireball or whatever. Uh, but most of the time it's going to be enchantment and illusion. Magic is where you're kind of like restricted. Um, Why do you think that is? Uh, because it is, you don't want a sneaky tank or a sneaky glass cannon. Um, you want things that are going to lend itself to the whole concept of being a rogue, like being invisible or talking your way out of a bad situation uh, with a few small caveats. Um, and a lot of sense. magic out of the other schools is really big and noisy and not in the fun way um, where you can distract people. It's more like, oh, look at that death from above. So it's uh, it, it makes sense. Um, the Eldritch Knight has a similar restriction as well. So makes sense um also at third level when they pick the subclass um their mage hand can just be invisible so you don't see it normally when you do mage hand there's like a spectral like bluish green kind of floating hand that can do stuff the okay. uh, arcane trickster you just can't see it at all hence the trickster part of the name um and then also too on top of what mage hand can normally do you can stow an object the hand is holding in a container or worn by another creature, uh, pickpocket. You can retrieve an object in a container uh, worn or carried by another creature. You can use thieves tools to pick locks and disarm traps at range, which is great because if you're not so, you're, if you're feeling like your reliable talent isn't that reliable and you're pretty sure that there's just a giant pool of acid on the other side of this door, you can back up and still do it. Because apparently you can kind of like feel through the mage hand, which is kind of cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's kind of nice. And then you get magical ambush at level nine, 
um, where if you're hidden from a creature when you cast a spell, the creature has disadvantage on eating saving throw against that spell, which is awesome because you can hide as a bonus action. You don't actually have to have like line of sight for the spell. Uh, yeah, but here's the thing: you're hidden from them doesn't mean that you can't see them, right? You That's can still true. poke your head out behind the barrel to see them and cast whatever it is. Bonus and, action: I'd like to hide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then for my action, I'd like to cast you know a hold person. And he has this advantage, by the way, in the saving throw. So good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, level 13, Versatile Trickster. Uh, you gain the ability to distract uh, targets with your Mage Hand. That's a fun trick. As a bonus action. Oh, good. Another bonus action. Uh, you can, uh, uh, on your turn, you can designate a creature within five feet of the hand. By doing so, uh, you gain advantage on attack rolls against that creature until the end of the turn. So basically what's happening here is a bonus action. You can treat your mage hand as a familiar, and it's taking the help action. And then you get advantage, which, hello. <laughs> hello. Keiko death. Um, yes, exactly. Um, but wait, there's more. We'll also throw in some Gensu knives. At level 17, you get Spell Thief. You gain the ability to magically steal the knowledge of how to cast a spell from another spellcaster. There used to be a Magic the Gathering card that lets you do this. Uh, immediately after a, key, a creature casts a spell that targets you or includes you in its area of effect, so a lot of them, you can use a reaction to force the creature to make a saving throw uh, with a spellcasting ability modifier. The DC equals your save DC. So you can basically use a reaction, force them to make a save. On a fail, you negate the spell's effect on you, and you steal the knowledge of that spell uh, if it is at least level one and of a level that you can cast. And it doesn't have to be a wizard spell. I mean, at level 17, most yeah. of the spells are going to be ones that you could cast. Right. Basically, you like dismantled the spell mid-casting, and you're like, oh, I see how this works. And for the next eight hours, you know that spell, and you can cast it using your spell slots. Okay, so it only lasts for eight hours. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, at least that helps. <laughs> right. It mitigates it a little bit. Yeah, so the creature can't cast, and the creature you took it from can't cast that spell in those eight hours. So that's rad, because if they cast a Cinegrate, and you're like, no, that's mine now, and they, you just nerfed the BBEG or the Lich or whatever, that's pretty rad. Like, I don't even know how you do that, but that's a great trick. Especially um, as a rogue. Like, I get the stealing thing, but I feel what? like this is just straight up, like, magic casters only to be able to intercept this spell coming at you and understand it as it's a... Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's but amazing. This is the arcane trickster, so they know a little bit. Enough to be dangerous, right? I mean, remember, at this level, they already know how to just ignore prerequisites of magic items. So it's kind of nuts, but they can only use this feature once on a long rest, which makes sense because it only works for eight hours. And those are the three big ones that are in the player's handbook. Yeah, so those are the three. There are a total of however there are a total of nine. Mm -hmm. However, and so these are the three kind of comp more probably more common ones that you're going to see most people play out of the player's handbook. But then in two other source books, you can find some additional options to niche down even more. Right. And if you don't feel like your rogue is broken enough, I highly recommend from Xanathar's The Swashbuckler. This gets into that pirate vibe. And this is the only thing I really want to just share with you here at the end, uh, Casey, is that they have an ability at third level. So when they become a swashbuckler called Rakish Audacity, um, it lets you add your charisma modifier to your initiative rolls. So now you're getting a bonus from your dexterity and your charisma. 
and you also gain an additional way to use your sneak attack. You don't need advantage in the attack roll. If you're within five feet of your target and there are no other creatures than five feet of you. As long as you and don't so if have there are advantage. if there are allies of some sort within five feet of you, you get advantage. And if there is nobody within five feet of you, you get advantage. So if you have advantage, it works. If you're with a friend, it works. If you're by yourself, it works. As long as you're not surrounded by enemies, basically, it won't work. But all the other rules still apply. You have to have a you know finesse weapon or a ranged weapon, so on and so forth. So yeah, so rakish audacity is one of the most ridiculous ones where, like, you have to work really hard to be in a situation where it doesn't work. So <laughs> yeah, so just just in case you were worried that rogues you know weren't overpowered enough or just so devious, there you go. Right. Yeah. So I confirm my suspicion that rogues feel OP'd. <laughs> Uh, by everything that we talked about, because they are, in fact, OP'd, and it was not my imagination. They're OP'd in your PO. Yes, precisely. Uh, yeah, I mean, this one, and I mean, as is, the class is impressive, but when you layer on a race yep. and a background, I mean, you can really... Uh, what I mean, what do you think the best race is? Like, best in terms of just, like, pimping this out to the utmost level. Um, I would say elf or half-elf is really good. Um, because half-elves, you get a plus two to your charisma. And then one other, um, and then two other ability uh, scores of yours increase by one. So you can do dexterity there, wisdom there, charisma, in case you're going to do swashbuckler. But then also um, half-elves they let you have two more proficiency and two more skills of your choice. Okay, yeah, I was going to say halfling. Yeah, halfling's also really good because you can duck between the legs of bigger creatures. Uh, they get a uh, rerolls on ones, which isn't ridiculous, like you needed more help. Uh, and then just straight up elves um, are really great too uh, because elves get a plus two to your dexterity, um, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, and uh, on top of that, you have dark vision, uh, you have keen senses, so now you have proficiency with the perception skill. Uh, you don't need to sleep, so no one's going to sneak up on you, and you can't be charmed, and magic can't put you to sleep. But if you want to go the uh, kind of, uh, what was it, the arcane trickster, gnome isn't bad either, because gnomes, mm -hmm. they can cast a little bit of magic already, their intelligence goes up by two, uh, and the, uh, where is it? The forest gnome gets a plus one to the dexterity. They know the minor illusion, uh, cantrip. So, yeah. Um, and then, or you could go with the rock gnome and have the tinkering stuff. And yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're someone that has, you know, questioned whether or not taking a more martial class is as fun or, you know, like you get as much stuff to do, because I think a lot of people have this idea that like, oh, it's a fantasy world with magic. I want to do magic. But something like this can easily be more effective in many, many situations than a lot of spellcasters. Yeah, a lot. Um, there's always something to do when you're playing a rogue. Um, and, you know, just on your own time, go look at the uh, goblin uh, player uh, uh, player race uh, is also kind of ridiculous. Um, 
because they get a plus two to dexterity. And then they have something really cool. Are you familiar with this? Called Fury of the Small? No, but I like the sound of it. It's great. So when you damage a creature with an attack or a spell, and the creature's size is larger than yours, and you're small, you can cause the attack or spell to deal extra damage to the creature, like you needed help. It equal The extra damage equals your level. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so no matter how you slice and dice it, this is always going to be an incredible class to play. I don't think that... I don't know that there would be a way you could build a rogue and have it be ineffective in a word like even if you paired the most counterintuitive races and backgrounds and you tried to build this out to like mute itself in some way i don't think you could no yeah i don't i don't i don't know yeah i i just don't know uh it's it is ridiculously fun it's easy to play you don't have to worry about a lot of spell slots it's uh rogues are great you guys rogues are great Thank you guys so much for listening in. This episode was brought to you by Quests for Authenticity, a coaching program that uses D&D to help people become just as confident in real life as their characters are at the table. If you are curious how you'd measure up to your character, visit www.questsforauthenticity.com to take a free quiz and find out. If you're enjoying the content that Jason and I create on the compendium, please consider supporting the podcast by becoming a patron. For as little as $2 a month, you can not only help support the content that we create and contribute to the type of content that we record for upcoming episodes, but you'll also be helping us offset the expenses that come with hosting, recording, and running a podcast like this. New episodes of the Compendium are published twice a week, so make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're always the first to know every time a new episode comes out. And as always, thank you guys for listening in, and we will see you next time.